baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 971 FM Talk Podcast. 97.1 FM Talk, Wiggins America. So this I've been looking forward to all morning. What a weird morning because we've we've had some <laughs> Corey Johnson. I'll just introduce you first before we get into this. So uh, how do you want to be introduced as a pastor or what? Yeah, I don't care. You want to, okay. You want to say, so you're yeah. a pastor in yeah. Illinois. I am. And in fact, I uh, attend some of those sermons myself. And uh, one of them really struck me. We're, we're talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart because, Corey, as you know, uh, I've known you for several years. I used to do a TV show and, in fact, still would like to do this TV show. It's just a matter of anybody actually picking the TV show up. Um called What It's Like to Die, that was about people who died and come back and things that they saw. And it was really intense. And it's it's one of those things that when I talk to people, everybody like will pull me aside for the 10 years I've been trying to do this thing and be like, hey, you know what? I kind of had an experience once myself. And it's like everybody wants to talk about it, but nobody feels comfortable talking about it. So on Sunday... You were talking a little bit about some kind of supernatural stuff, which you don't always get into. It's not a topic that first and foremost in your sermons, right? No, and that's even what I said on Sunday is the story I told in 14 years of teaching, preaching, public speaking. I had literally never shared the story because I was like, people are going to think I'm a nut. Well, let me, why? It's like we already believe in a guy that walked in perfection, died and rose, which is asinine for like a normal person right right? in our culture especially and so then you put a little bit of dribble of like some actual like supernatural on there that then it just immediately feels like i think a movie or a show or Mm -hmm. something that's even more crazy and out of the box perhaps than what already believing in jesus could lead someone to believe you know and so for me even like and i get to teach the scriptures and i love that it's a great aspect of my job man for 14 years i felt a genuine (laughs) insecurity to uh to share it do you get do you get what i get which is when you say these things and people then feel like oh you're safe i can come to you and tell you that yeah something kind of weird happened to me too like has that happened to you since this sermon 100 percent. it happened i mean i got probably 10 to 15 text messages really Uh, but what's interesting about it is it's not only like christians that will respond there's plenty of non-believers that go to our church non-christians and folks who would consider themselves skeptical and and then even they will reach out and they'll be like, man, that actually gives me a little bit of understanding as to something that may have happened to me. And then you're like, okay, well, that that's almost like more affirming to me than just a Christian that's going to kind of nod their head and be like, yeah, 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 yeah I, mm-hmm. I believe that you're saying that you're my pastor, you're preaching that. But when you get someone who doesn't believe what you believe and has a different worldview than you have, and then our worldviews come together on that one thing, you're like, oh, huh. What? Interesting. Why do you think that is? I have my own theories about this, but I don't want to cast them on you. Why do you think it is that we all, and I'm not going to say like every single, 100% of the population have had supernatural experiences. That's sure. not true. I know mm-hmm. people, when, when I talk about my TV show anyway, or had been, that they'd be like, man, I don't know what in the world is going on. Mm. But is it that we're 
<laughs> let's say 50% of people have and 50% of people haven't, just for the sake of argument. Is it that the 50% of people who've had some sort of weird or supernatural or spiritual experience are, we're culturally conditioned to say, you know what, that stuff, it could be true for me, but nobody else has experienced this. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. I need to go on record and state again, this is not like something that I'm, right. that I'm regularly preaching, teaching, talking about, no books written by me, nothing like that. I think what what happens is that there's that. I think there's a well. Will someone think I was crazy? I think there might be something like well, maybe I maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's just indigestion. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm crazy. You know, maybe I ate bad pizza or whatever. Um, I think a lot of it has to do, and I haven't put a whole 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 lot of thought in this, but I think a lot of it has to do just with the culture. And if you go back, like the Enlightenment period, you have you know postmodern thought. You have science, and there's some things that happen that science can't explain, right? And science just kind of doesn't talk about those things whenever mm-hmm. it happens. But also then it leads us to believe if, if something's not empirical and something's not something we could physically touch and feel at all times, but it's just something that we maybe experienced once, I think it does lead you to uh, a bit of denial. And then I do think, let's say there is a real genuine spiritual aspect to that. I think it's quite possible that if you are experiencing something from something or from someone, it is also quite possible that that something or someone can lead you to doubt the very thing you just experienced mm-hmm. and kind of leave you in that reciprocal cycle of, well, maybe not. And so they just kind of keep it in to themselves. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk more about this. So let's, let's actually, we're going to, let's break here and come back. And I want you to give your testimony because I, one of the reasons I value it actually is the reason you just said. So I'm. I, it's weird. I'm, I'm coming out and I'm going, oh, we need to talk about these things more. And then at the same time, the reason I respect your testimony on this mm-hmm. is because you don't talk about it that I don't, much. Yeah. So I don't that, talk about it that's at what's all. Weird. And, and yeah. honestly, that's been my case mm-hmm. with anybody I've talked to, is if somebody is really willing to like jump in and be like, full-blown supernatural it's not that i don't believe them mm-hmm. it's that i put up a wall of like i don't Immediate, know do i yeah. trust you right away you know That's right. yeah and but it's the people who come to you and they're like look i had to really muster up the courage to tell you this because i don't talk about that that much mm-hmm. for some reason that to me says okay now i'm listening and i don't know why that is yeah. but you are one of those guys yeah. who you well, don't jump you. right into this yeah. stuff. I try not to. Yeah, and I again, yeah. I haven't even shared it until and then yeah. then the, then the time I do share it, you're like, "Hey, come on the show." Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The one yeah, after yeah. I've what I've known you for like 6 years or yeah. 7 years. Sure. And the, you finally share this and I'm like, "All right, let's, let's share, go broadcast let's share it. it with everybody." Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Corey's going to share his I don't know what you what do you call it, like a spiritual or supernatural like spiritual warfare kind of experience, yeah. right? Yeah, um, sure. So whatever we want to call it, we're going to share uh, Corey's story right after the break. So stick around. More Wiggins America. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. All right, Corey Johnson with us. Uh, He is a pastor in Illinois. He is actually my pastor. I think I said that last time. I don't know if I did. I was trying to be like cool about it and be like, oh, I've listened to his sermons. I don't know if I said Mm -hmm. you're my pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, we kind of teased this up. And so just sharing again that 
supernatural stories are not something that uh, we in the kind of the faith community that I walk around in talk about a lot, although nobody's opposed to it. Right. It's yeah. just kind of not the center of the story. Yeah. Although Jesus himself is supernatural. So that is right. He's yeah. the center of the story. So I guess, you know, it kind yeah. of, we're kind of talking out of both sides of our mouth here, but, um, Corey had never shared this story before Sunday. And so once he did, I'm like, okay, that's, that's a really cool story. You got to come share it on the radio. And he agreed to do it. And so thank you for being here. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. <laughs> and overcoming the nerves and doing yeah, so. Sure. And all In the some things. ways it's my pleasure. In yeah. some ways it's like dreading doing yeah, it. Yeah, it's super uncomfortable. Well, hey, in 10 minutes, you can say we're done. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I'll, I'll step aside here and just, so this is Corey's, like what, four weeks of, t- like yeah, sure. right after you became a Christian? Yeah, I can share. Yeah, I go can ahead. Share that. Yeah, I'll try to do it without, you know, I'll try not to cut too short, but it is what it is. I think it's important to note for the listener that I'm not a, a third generation pastor by any means. My, my daddy wasn't a pastor. My granddaddy was not a pastor. Uh, I was raised by addicts. Uh, the joke actually in our church and in our family is that I've always been entrepreneurial. So starting a church was was easier and it wasn't because I was like entrepreneurially gifted to go out and start businesses because I started selling drugs in fifth grade, you know? Yeah. And I've always been able to throw the other joke is I've always been able to throw great parties. Now I just throw a different party. <laughs> and uh, for as funny or, as that may or may not be, it's absolutely true. And so 14 years ago, uh, living a crazy lifestyle, uh, I just woke up and believed in Jesus, and uh, there was nothing more to it than that. I didn't go to church. I didn't walk an aisle. I didn't have somebody pass out one of those tracks that tell you to read a certain prayer and come to faith. I just woke up and knew Jesus is better. Um, and then four months later, I lost my friends. Eight months later, I had a job working in a church, and I was enrolled in something. When you say lost your friends, you mean yeah, they didn't die. Like They, 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 no, they no, left no, you. No. They didn't you want to be like, friends with you anymore. come to faith and all your friends die off. No, yeah. they just, like, they, I just was in a big party scene, you know, yeah. and— uh, and so they didn't know what to do with me. I didn't care what they did. I was just trying to abstain from some of that. And then, uh, so about four months is all it took and everybody left me. Uh, eight months later though, man, sure enough, I was enrolled into this weird school called seminary, you know, mm-hmm. grad school for Jesus. And I had a job at a church, but what I don't share, I share that a lot. People in my church know that people all around the world know that story. Now I've shared it everywhere. The part I don't share is after coming to faith, you want me to share all of it, all four weeks of it. I do. Okay. Uh, after coming to faith in Christ, I was talking that following week with, um, my significant other. And I was like, man, how am I going to be a youth pastor? I don't have any good gifts. And I jokingly said, you know, I don't wear flannel shirts. I don't play acoustic guitar. I don't sing. I'm <laughs> not that. funny. And that's the picture I had in my, I didn't go to church. That's like all I knew. Yeah. Some weird dude up there with an acoustic. And, um, and I said, and I quote, I feel like God was on lunch while I was on the assembly line. I don't have any good gifts. And then I go with her to church this following Sunday, which we never did. We didn't go to church. We go to this little bitty church in Granite City, about 12 people. And a little old man by the name of Pastor George comes out. He's probably 88 years old. And the first thing he said was, good morning. And the second thing he said was, some of you feel like God was on lunch while you were on the assembly line. But I'm here to tell you that that's not the case. I love, that's not a common phrase. <laughs> no, it's so weird. Yeah, and I'm so naive. I was like, oh, what a coincidence. I just thought that, you know? I wasn't like, oh, that's Jesus. You weren't Jesus. blown away. No, I wasn't like, no way, Jesus is real. I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, then that following week again, this would be like the third week, my significant other and I are sitting there and we're, we're talking. I'm like, man, I don't know any stories about the Bible. The only story that I know is a guy named Saul uh, who's out murdering men, women, and children. Um, has an experience with Jesus. Jesus knocks him off his horse, asks him why he's persecuting him, and then calls him to faith. Boom, just like that. 
And now he doesn't really convert to a guy named Paul. This is a change in name based off the, the language there. But Saul's conversion to Paul is what we call that. And I was talking to my significant other, and I'm like, yeah, like, here's the story I know, the one I just shared about Paul. And she's like, that's like you. And I'm like, no, that's not like me. I'm not out murdering people. I did do some pretty bad things. But and she's like, no, but the significance of like a radical change. And so fast forward a couple of days, we go to this church, small congregation, little Pastor George comes out, 88 years old. And he says, good morning. I had a whole sermon prepared for you today. And instead of giving that sermon, I'm going to preach a sermon on Saul's conversion to Paul. And that's when I did speak up. And as as I said in church, and I was like, and in front of everybody in that church, I go, holy freaking crap, which is maybe what I should have done the first time. And then like 12 old folks looked at me and I was like, sorry, guys, like I'm just having a moment. I don't have any church etiquette. I don't understand what I'm supposed to to do in there. Paint the picture of this church. This is a a little church in Granite City that has what, 15 people in it? 12 tops. And they're all over 70 years old. They're all over 80. 80 Why are you even there? My so apparently, and my, you were in your twenties at the time. Yeah, my girlfriend at the time went to the same denomination of church in the Quad Cities, okay. and that's just all she knew. And so she just happened to start going there, and she fell in love with these old folks that were there. <laughs> and praise God for those those old saints that are in there. They helped pay for her to go to like Ethiopia, and they did all these things. So she she loved them and knew them. Uh, I did not mm-hmm. love them, nor did I know them at the time, right? Um, but I did freak out that morning, and they all like like all their heads turn and look at me and I was like oh dear this is I feel really uncomfortable now obviously um so, so that's all not to interrupt you no, but no, that's all the stuff that was I would say on the on the positive side yeah that was all great that yeah, was easy that's and, all good stuff yeah and I would say in hindsight very spiritual things like sure God was clearly speaking to me in those moments and then the stuff the part that gets weird like that's even pretty easy to say because one could easily say oh those are just some positive coincidences what a great story I feel good about that let's go have lunch you mm-hmm. know but then it does get really weird. And so the the fourth week, then entering into it, um, I go to a, a co-worker's going away party at the time. During this time, I was trying to abstain from drinking alcohol. And, and when not, you say the fourth week, this is basically you became a Christian like suddenly like Paul, or yes. Saul converting Paul. Then this is the first week, second week, third week. And now you're in the fourth week of suddenly be, being, uh, being a Christian. A Christian. Yep, okay. That's exactly right. Thanks yeah. for clarifying. And so. Yes. So I go to a going away party. And for me, like I was abstaining from drinking at the time. Not that you know this. We're not opposed to drinking at all. I, I'm a fan of bourbon and craft beer. Mm-hmm. I love them both. Um, but during that time, I, I had to because of where I was at in life during that season of life. And I go out to this um, going away party for a, a manager that is going away. And we're at a bar out in Belleville. And all these random people started buying, trying to buy me drinks. And so I, I had dudes that were trying to buy drinks. I had ladies that were trying to buy drinks. I jokingly said, I think on Sunday, like ladies don't, a bunch of ladies don't just buy a guy drinks. <laughs> That's not the way this thing goes down. It's not normal life. And uh, it kind of, it began to just get like physically dark. And the only way I know how to explain it is like, say you are watching a horror movie or, and then you get that really eerie, uncomfortable feeling when you have to walk through your house and shut off all the lights, you know, mm-hmm. that feeling in kind of the back yeah. of your neck, the hairs on your neck stand up. It was kind of like that. And, um, all these people were trying to buy drinks, which is really abnormal and uncomfortable. And then it, it climaxed with a very big man, probably 6'2", 6'3", very big, very built, like hit me in the chest with these two drinks. And he and he says, take the effing drinks. But he doesn't say effing. He says, you know, the yeah. actual word. And said, I don't think I'm allowed to say at church or in here. <laughs> I don't know. There's a first we'll com- find out. There's a good commonality <laughs> yeah. right there. Right? And so he hits me in the chest. Boom. Take the drinks. And I was like, okay, man, I didn't want to get beat up. So I put the drinks down, listened to my manager that's leaving, uh, talk, and just out of, by default, I took a drink of the drink, and I immediately get 
like piercing pains, like instinct. In my, you 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 weren't trying to drink. No, you, you yeah. sit in front of you, so you just were like, "Well, oh, I totally." Forgot. Like if you were to have a glass of water in front yeah. of you, I just took a sip of it, not paying any attention, just listening to a story, and I immediately just get like piercing pains in my stomach that I could not control, and so I. I'm like, I got to go. I don't feel, clearly I don't feel well. So I go to send a text. You want me share all this? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I go to send this text uh, to my significant, significant other at the time. And it's old school. It's T9. I'm going through all the work to to try to text her on this flip phone. Were you pressing the buttons? Pressing like, the, yeah, yeah. One, two, three for yeah, A. One, yeah. two, yeah. I don't know if your listeners would know or recall T9. but T- I didn't know the term T9. Yeah, that's old school. Sprint yeah. phones you flip, yeah. you know, two, 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 three, two, three, right. whatever. And uh, so I hit it, try to tell her I'm leaving to come back. I hit send, and the word God comes up on my phone. And it's not what I wrote at all. I wrote something else about leaving Belleville and coming to Eversville. I'm like, that's not what I meant. So then I send her another one. I go through all the hassle. I send the text. I hit send, and literally the word repent comes up on my phone. And it wasn't like, you need to believe in God and repent. That had already happened. I had already come to faith. But it was almost like a reminder of, like, this is who you are. And then I just kind of knew in that moment, like, something very, very dark is trying to get me. So I snatch my friend's keys. I literally just steal his car. I create, I commit a GTA, right, in Grand Theft Auto in that moment, take his car, I leave, and then it just continues to get dark. It's like this cloud is, like, coming in around me, and then there's these three consecutive stoplights that are on 159, Highway 159, and as I go through the green lights, there's a black car that blows through each red light in consecutive order. The first green for me, car blows through a red. The second green car blows through a red light and then the third green car blows through a red light again and on the way home I get sick very very sick to my stomach I literally have to pull over on the side of the road and get sick like one would get sick I don't know I know throw a up. lot to say on the air you, you know a you little bit say, of throw it's coming out of everything man. <laughs> it's all right um and I wasn't sick there wasn't anything that would have made me sick in that moment and at the same time there's all this like crazy dark atmosphere all around me. I think that seems like the key. Like yeah. <clears throat> all the stuff that you're talking about is like, well, what's he going through? But when you talk about the feeling, that's when you go, okay, mm-hmm. that sounds like something else. Yes. Yeah. And you and you think like the supernatural of like, why would a black car blow through lights? And I know, like I say, I say it out loud, and I'm like, and it still sounds asinine to say. Even this week, before I shared, I asked my my wife and I we were hosting, we had some couples over, and so I shared the story, and I was like. Uh, looking for my wife's affirmation in it. And she was like, babe, for 14 years, the day after you told that story, you looked at me and said, that's what happened, right? That is what happened. And she was like, and it's exactly what happened. She was like, we, you immediately told me every single thing that, that happened. Like, and so I still, even now I'm like, dang, that's crazy. So when you asked that question initially, like, why do you think people don't talk about it? I think the same force that can lead you to experience something is also the same force that can lead you to think, well, maybe not. Mm-hmm. So. So you you get you get home, and the, the you still are just feeling this intense, heavy cloud of darkness. Yeah, well, I, yeah. As I as I mentioned, I I didn't mention it here, but I did. I made a phone call to a great friend of mine who we started our church together in 2014, and um, and I call him and he prays for me, man. And he prayed from mostly from Belleville all the way back to Eversville to our you know our house that we had there. And uh, and I get home and I plop down on the recliner and he's like, "Are you home?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm finally I'm home." And he goes, "Well, amen." And when he did, man, like everything dark around me, like it was like ripped out of the house. Like you would get oxygen would be ripped out of the uh, cabin of an airplane, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't dangerous or dark anymore. It was just everything terrible left. And I walked to my room without any eerie feelings and I went to sleep and I woke up. I slept like a baby, man. Woke up. 
And there's nothing that anybody could say to say, well, that didn't happen or that did happen. That's what's so interesting about these stories is that it's entirely based on, to me, the integrity of the person telling it. Yeah. And so when I hear a story, and I've, I've done the same thing, Corey. I've heard stories from people that I'm like, man, that's crazy. I don't believe a word of what you're saying. And there's other times that I will hear a story and be like, man, I just, I, have no, I don't know you, but what you're saying really resonates. Sure. And when you told that story, I'm like, man, that's a, that's a really intense story. And part of it, I think, is knowing you and knowing that you don't tell stories like that much. Yeah. But it for anybody who's ever experienced something, anything supernatural, everybody, everybody's very different. <clears throat> it sticks with you when you know that it was like really because they're usually pretty intense. And they're things that I've talked to. <laughs> I, I, there, there's a there's an old man that works at a flea market that I go to every couple of weeks. Hmm. He's got to be in his mid 80s now. And when he found out that I did that show, just like I said before, uh, supernatural show about people dying, coming back to life. He's like, oh, yeah, oh, very interesting. Uh, let me tell you a story about one time when I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. I mean, this guy's in his 80s. Sure. And this is a story that, and it was just something, and it wasn't, it was like yours. Like, it was yeah. something that was, I he, can't confirm or deny. Right. And he might not have told very many people his whole life either. That, that's what you he know? told me. He said, <laughs> so, you know, I've told very few people this. Yeah. And I'm like, well, bring it on, man. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, I think it's those things that they, they're so different than what you experience on a daily basis that they just stick with you. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll sort of conclude by saying, you know, if anybody wants to reach out and just talk about this subject or, or whatever, uh, very open to this kind of stuff. I enjoy it, obviously. I heard Corey talk about it. I'm like, well, let's do it. So if you want to reach out and talk to me about that stuff, either privately or publicly, it doesn't matter to me, at Radio Wiggins on Twitter is the best way, or you can get WigginsAmerica.com. You can find me, email me there. Uh, either way, Corey, how do you feel now? You're done telling the story. Better? I feel about the same as okay, when I began. <laughs> so, yeah, Corey man, said he yeah. was like, ah, oh, man, I don't know if I want to do this. And I'm like, come on, we can do it. Yeah. So. No, it's great. I think it's like things are only like taboo because we don't talk about it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and yeah. I think that there's a I think there's a great opportunity. I don't know how much time we have here, but I think there's a great opportunity to really look at. As I know you like to talk about culture and things in the culture. And I think it'd be interesting to really sit and chat through like, what are ways that you see things like this playing out from a cultural perspective mm-hmm. that, that are actually happening maybe on a, a bigger scale than we realize? Oh, gosh, you know? yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> now you're really opening the door Yeah, because we're talking about yeah. every single thing that we talk about, in my opinion, has a spiritual component at its root. And so when we talk about politics, yeah, mm-hmm. we're talking about politics, but we're also talking about people. And you're also talking about people's core beliefs, their morals, their values, and all that comes to me. In, in my opinion, I think probably yours too, mm-hmm. from what do you believe about God? Yeah. Whether you don't believe anything about God or you sure. do believe about God or you believe in the Bible or you mm-hmm. believe in a different God, right. yeah. all that plays into the what you believe about the way yeah. the world works. And so everything that we talk about at any given time that has any substance to it, which I'm not going to say everything that we do has substance. I will I will confirm that some of what we do on this show is completely substanceless. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> when we when we get into stuff... There's always a spiritual component to it. So, Corey, thanks. Uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate yeah, your willingness to be open about sure. you know, yeah. doing something that's a little uncomfortable for you. No, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to step out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And again, if you want to reach out, uh, even to Corey, like, contact me, and I'll, I'll put you in touch with him at Radio Wiggins on Twitter or, again, at WigginsAmerica.com. You can email me. Well, some hard politics here because this week, as you know, Joe Biden stepped into the economy. He said, I'm going to save you, economy. 
you're doing bad. And I don't know why, but I'm going to do something about it. So he and his friend Chuck Schumer and his other friend Joe Manchin. Didn't expect to say that name in that sentence coming last week because uh, he has been the problem for them. But he stepped in with uh, his buddies uh, at the White House and the head of the Senate, and he said, you know what, I will. I will pass a bill. And uh, it's going to be a problem because it goes against basic economics. And we've been talking about this quite a bit. You know, this isn't news that what the president is doing kind of runs right in the face of what you should be doing to fix an economy. Because when you have inflation, for instance, I think you already know this, but when you have inflation, you don't go spend more government money. You can personally spend money. In fact, you have to spend more money in your household to buy the same things. But the government shouldn't just print more money because that's actually the source of inflation. So uh, doing that, spending another whatever it's going to be, $300 billion, $500 billion, is going to cause more inflation. Yet what he's saying is we're doing this to try to curtail inflation. It's, I'm not kidding, but that these are such basic economics that I feel dumber explaining them, yet that's actually what we're doing. And these poor jerks who live under the regime of the Biden administration, that being all of us, are going to have to deal with the consequences. So let me dive into this just a little bit more here, because what we're talking about is not just more spending, because what, what they've said, the White House talking points have been, is that this new spending bill is going to reduce the deficit and the, the way it's going to do that. And look, I'm all for reducing the deficit. So when they say that, it's not as if I'm going, ah, partisan, I'm just going to throw that away. I, I'm like, oh, you're going to reduce the deficit. That sounds pretty good. Okay, I'm on board, I think. Just tell me the details. Well, the details are, here's how we're going to control the deficit. The same day as a recession was announced, they announced they're going to raise taxes on businesses, including small businesses. So all businesses that are trying to weather a, a recession, which, by the way, they're not acknowledging, which different news story, but they're not acknowledging that it's a recession. They're changing the definition of recession. If you've paid attention to this at all, you already saw that. So I won't dive into that. You already know that. But when they say, okay, now we're in a recession, like economists, the common definition of a recession is two quarters in a row of negative growth. That's what we've had. So we're in a recession by all measures. The White House, the same day that happens, comes out and says, we understand that this is going to be a tough time for businesses, a.k.a. a recession. That's what a recession is. It's a tough time for business. It's a tough time to get jobs because businesses aren't flourishing in a recession. We're going to raise taxes on businesses. I'm only saying this because it's so stupid that I can't believe it's happening and I can't believe that the mainstream media doesn't ask these basic questions. For instance, if you have a White House advisor who's making the rounds, not just on CNNs, but on the Fox Newses too, he was going around touting this bill. We got Manchin to sign on, and there was a, a double cross of Republicans. They looked like idiots. That's all true too, because they thought they had come to a deal with this chips bill, chip manufacturing bill to, uh, to sort of head off China at the pass and say, well, we're going to produce most of those here in America from now on. Well, they came to a deal with Democrats on that bill and said, okay, we'll sign that if you don't do this or you do this a different way. And Democrats said, okay, 
signed that, and then they just did whatever they want anyway, which really hurt. I mean, us, we don't care. We're in the Midwest. In Washington, D.C., though, on Capitol Hill, that's going to have serious long-term ramifications because if you thought you couldn't burn bridges more, you just did it. That's that's a terrible way to form coalitions of government. But they must know that we're at the end of July here going into August. November is coming up in a couple months. They're going into a recess. There's not a whole lot of time left to pass a whole lot of legislation with a 50-50 Senate, especially, and barely a majority of Democrats in the House. So they must knew... We don't care. Who cares? Let's just burn that bridge. But that's bad long-term between just people. I mean, parties aside, you don't double cr- You don't backstab people like that. Even if you fight publicly, that's the way it always was. You fought publicly and more and more now than we ever have before. But behind closed doors, when you make a handshake deal, you follow through with the deal. They didn't do that. That sucks. But again, as far as us and the concerns that we, we have to deal with with all of this spending, that's the problem. And let me just bring this up, just because this isn't necessarily the talking point of the week. All the administration talking points of the week have been about this spending bill and how great it is. (laughs) We're going to spend more money to get rid of inflation, tax businesses to get rid of a recession. (laughs) Again, I don't know. But let's go back to last week. And I'm going to play this, I think, every week until the problem's fixed, because it's just so crazy that we even have to talk about this. But... Joe Biden has said, I'm going to fix the oil problem. Well, guess who caused the oil problem? Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel. What about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yeah. new pipeline infrastructure? Yeah, yeah. New pipeline. And, and, exactly. and no more, no new fracking. We are going to get rid of fossil fuels. I've argued against any more oil drilling or gas drilling on federal lands. No one's going to build a coal-fired plant again, and we're going to get rid of the ones we have now. Have a transition from the oil industry, yes. Would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. Not really much more I need to add to that. We'll be right back with more about this FBI story. Whistleblower coming out at the FBI saying there's deep corruption. We'll get to that next. This is a big story from this week that hasn't gotten a whole lot of attention, so I wanted to give it its due time here on Wiggins America this morning because I feel responsible for bringing you these kind of things. In fact, it's related to the Jack Maxey stuff, which if you listen to this show regularly, we've been reporting on this guy named Jack Maxey, who's one of the original journalists who got a copy of Hunter Biden's laptop and the the saga that continues with what he's doing with that laptop in trying to find all of, dig up and reveal all the deleted material on it, but not just show it to everybody, but also show it to everybody at the same time as he's creating kind of a network of sheriffs around the country because he doesn't trust the FBI. Now, that's all related to what I'm about to tell you because this is a big breaking story from this week that, again, just has not gotten enough play because it is a big, big deal. And it's related to so many different things, not just the laptop, not just because we've been talking about Jack Maxey on this show. Which, if you want to know what that is, get the podcast from last... We were just talking about last week. The very first segment of last week, we dove into that Jack Maxey stuff. And you can get all caught up by just doing that in like five, ten minutes. 
Um, but here's the big one from this week. This is from Catherine Herridge. Now, if you know that name, you know that she is, and I'm going to use the term here in a, in a strange way, she is frustratingly about reporting. Now, let me clarify what that means. She reports facts, just the facts, ma'am. And the reason that's that's tough nowadays, and that's that's journalism. I mean, that's that's what traditional journalism is. The hard part about saying that that's great now is that if you just report the facts of the CDC, then you're getting tainted facts. If you if you just report the facts of the January sixth commission, then you're just reporting what one side wants you to receive, and so there's no real deep curiosity there. You're just saying, here's what they said. Now, that's that, again, that is pure journalism, and there, there absolutely should be more of that. But they're also, frustratingly, when I read Catherine Herridge, I'm like, aren't you going to ask deeper questions like, why isn't there another side to the January 6th commission? Or things like that. And she never does. She just reports. So kudos to her for that in a way. But I'm, I'm saying that to say... When I read this headline, you'll know where it's coming from here. This is Catherine Herridge. She doesn't really play sides at all because her brand of journalism is so old-fashioned that it's it's saying there are no sides. I am just reporting, okay? Highly credible whistleblowers, and this is in her words, highly credible whistleblowers have come forward to a senior Senate Republican and that is, by the way, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, alleging a widespread effort within the FBI to downplay or discredit negative information about President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, according to letters revealed or reviewed by CBS News, a.k.a. Catherine Herridge. Chuck Grassley says, quote, the information provided to my office involves concerns about the FBI's receipt and use of derogatory information relating to Hunter Biden and the FBI's false portrayal of acquired evidence as disinformation. FBI Director Christopher Wray and Attorney General Merrick Garland on, tw- on July 25 is who Chuck Grassley is talking about here. He says, quote, the volume and consistency of these allegations within the FBI, I'm adding, back to the quote, substantiate their credibility and necessitate this letter. Grassley is the ranking member on the Senate Judiciary Committee and said the whistleblowers alleged that legitimate streams of information and intelligence about the president's son were characterized as likely disinformation or prematurely shut down leading up to the 2020 presidential election on purpose. Now, you've already known this. We've already known this for a long time, but the fact that it's coming out now gives more mainstream news legitimate reason to talk about it, and that's important. And when I say mainstream, I'm talking about CBS, this is CBS News saying this. Now, Catherine Herridge is one of the few voices, like I said, that will just report. And that's good and bad at times. She, she seems to lack some curiosity to me. But she just says, here's, here's what they said. So that's reporting. Now, CBS News reporting on that. Fox News can begin to report on this. I haven't seen them saying much about it. But it needs to be voiced within these big organizations because if it stays under the cover of darkness or just under the covers of you know websites and and news outlets that you and I know do report real things but that don't get attention that's a problem 
and it's related to so much stuff. It's really beyond just this laptop. The laptop itself is important. I'm not saying it's not. That's why we keep reporting on it. That's why we're talking about it itself. We're talking about the saga of Jack Maxey and all that stuff. But we're talking about a bigger issue here in that you have the upper echelons of the FBI that are corrupt to the core and need to be dismantled. And now I'm reciting from memory here, but this week I also read a story about how there's some operation called like Class F movement or something like that that is the code name that President Trump, former and possibly future President Trump, is giving to what he's going to do to these organizations when he gets back in office. I have been saying this, and I've said it on multiple shows, not just my own, but Annie's show, on Mark Cox's show, I've said for a long time, that should be almost the number one priority of the tr- the next Trump administration, should there be one, is taking apart the deep state. Because there's a lot of money, there's a lot of corruption, and a whole lot of corrupt people who never get elected, who run a lot of this country now. And he ran into it face first in his first four years, and he knows that he has to get rid of it. And apparently what the good news is, this Class F thing that was revealed this week that's within Trump's purview is his plan to do that if he gets back into office. Now, what's going to happen is that those organizations, they're going to hear about that. They probably already have. And they're not going to stop. They're going to keep going after him and every single thing they can find, they're going to throw at him because they know that if they don't stop him from getting into office, they're done. He's going to dismantle them. And that is so important to do. And stories like this are key components to that. Because if these things become mainstream... And even a segment of the larger population of the United States, not everybody, but just a segment starts to understand how deep the corruption is of the deep state or the shadow government or the unelected, excuse me, bureaucratic government, whatever you want to call it. If, If people start to understand to a greater degree how much of a threat these people are to the United States, states to, to democracy in this country, um, then we're, we're on the right path, and that needs to happen. So whether they do or they don't, I don't know, but I know that these are key components to making sure that that does happen, and public pressure is a tremendous thing. Thanks for being here this week. Wiggins America can be found by typing in Wiggins America into your search engine and getting the podcast here as soon as we get done talking. That'll be uploaded really, really fast, and you get the whole thing. Or you can rewind on the Odyssey app. Thanks for tuning in. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.